I don't like to explain what I was thinking when I wrote a song. I think that's awful. Just awful. When I'm dead, I want to be remembered as a musician of some worth and substance. I'm starting this fascinating Queen Deep Dive with that lovely quote, that enigmatic, very professional quote from Mr. Freddie Mercury. Why am I starting with a quote? Because, honestly, this song, this little number that opens the fantastic A Night at the Opera, is anything but enigmatic. Maybe it was when it first came out, when this album was dropped in November of 1975, and enthusiastic fans snatched this off the shelf and listened to this opening number and read the lyrics alongside. I'm sure there was a lot of mystery around this song and what it meant. But you guys, this is harsh. This is vicious. This is one of the scariest things the guys ever wrote and recorded. This song is one of the darkest moments in Queen's entire catalog. And it's fantastic. <laughs> it's phenomenal. I love this song. I am going to say that a million times in this Queen Deep Dive. I love this song. And you know what it is? Death on Two Legs. Dedicated to dot, dot, dot. <laughs> <laughs> we can only guess, we can only assume who this is actually about. Because again, it may have been a mystery way back when, but certain events transpired that I think swiped away any remaining mystery around this little number. This is Dive 35, track number one on Queen's A Night at the Opera, written by Mr. Freddie Mercury. It's all hard, progressive metal. <laughs> it's, it's a few different genres here. We have some hard rock. Yeah, it's, it feels a little classically influenced, though. It does feel a bit like a classical piece that's been put through a futuristic grinder or something like that. And it, it's just phenomenal. Whatever it is, this is marvelous. This is everything that Queen has been prior, polished and shined brighter than ever. I just, I, I love this song. So we're at 125 beats per minute, a very comfortable tempo, but there is a little bit of fluctuation in that, especially in the intro of the song, which begins without any kind of a key, without any kind of a tempo. It's just lots of arpeggios, very fast 32nd notes of arpeggios from Freddie. And it sounds absolutely stunning. You can tell that he'd been working on his piano. As part of the production and preparation for this album, Freddie actually got a piano, which he wanted for himself. And he was able to finally get back to some more rigorous playing, some more dedicated practicing. And I think it really shows, especially in this opening number, we're in 4-4 time signature, which is fascinating, actually, for a lot of reasons. One, we know by now that Mr. Mercury loves to change up his rhythms and his keys. He's 
It's just a trademark of his compositions. And so it's interesting that the more we go along with the albums here, the more we progress, he's actually doing less of that. And the genius is in the arrangements of the songs. And I should note that Roger does a phenomenal job of skipping beats, leaving certain crashes and snare hits and toms and kicks out where we expect them as we go through the song, which creates this... It creates an illusion of shifting time signature. It's it's a really fantastic way of arranging a song and makes it extremely complex, but it's done so well. It's done so effortlessly and perfectly by Roger and the rest of the guys on their accents on certain notes that you don't even notice it. It's just this seamless transition of this feeling of song and expression. And I love it. We are in a couple of different keys here. We've got B minor and D major with some brief allusions to G minor, the distant G minor in this case. So as I mentioned earlier, yes, this is a song that is quite notorious. It's quite well known in the Queen fandom. The people who've heard this song almost unanimously enjoy it as this nasty gram to a former manager who took great advantage of Queen. I talked about this a little bit in my kickoff for A Night at the Opera. Norman Sheffield and Trident Productions. Brian confirmed that in 1972, Queen signed a deal with this production company, a production company. This was not a recording label. So Trident was the middleman between Queen and the record label. They would sell, Trident would sell Queen's material to the label. This became a bit of a, a bit of a problem. This was a huge issue. The longer time went on because it became very apparent that Trident was getting a lot of money and Queen was not. Just a few examples. Freddie wanted a piano so he could further his skills. Well, that was denied. John Deacon had just got married and wanted a down payment on a house. That was denied. Roger wanted a car. That was denied. In fact, Roger was told not to drum too hard because they didn't want him to break the drumsticks because they couldn't afford it. I mean, what is that? How are you supposed to function as a musician? In that kind of atmosphere, you can't. So naturally, there was a lot of tension here. There was a lot of frustration on the guys and a lot of things going wrong. And you can't blame them for being really, really upset about that. Well, Freddie wrote this song. And the quote I opened this episode with is what he said about this song in particular which again, I find it super fascinating because he's being very, you know, poised and professional and mature about it. But despite Freddie's elegance and that professionalism and all the accusatory language that's, it, I was going to say it's sprinkled through this number, but really it owns this number. It makes this song what it is. All of that to the contrary, it's pretty much a, a guarantee that this song was written after the long financial management battle with Trident Productions was finally beginning to come to an end. And 
And the guys still weren't rid of that for a very long time. They had to pay royalties to Trident for some number of albums after they got out of that contract. There was a lot of lingering bitterness about this. And Freddie wrote this song and it was so vicious and so vindictive that Brian was reluctant to play or record it specifically. I don't know about Roger and John, but Brian was like, wow. Now, eventually Freddie got his way. And honestly, I'm glad he did because this song is fantastic. It's so much fun. (laughs) And it's probably the nastiest song I love this much, if I'm gonna put it that way. Recorded and mixed at Sarm East Studios in late 75, this fiery hate letter to a former manager is one of Queen's darkest, aggressive, and creative, hard-rocking numbers. It abandons that traditional song narrative structure and employs multiple intros, breaks, solos, and a variety of really surprising sound transitions to express this full-on disgust, disdain, and anger. The production of this number is Queen's best yet. Right off the bat, we kick off this album with so much tightness in the sound of this song with plenty of fade-ins, panning from the left to the right, up and down, back and forth, and all that jazz. Glorious piano arpeggios, entirely classically influenced, diminished to the softer and sneaky staccato in the verses, accented by that memorable guitar riff that falls chromatically down the scale, that hook, if you will, creating this enormous tension and intrigue that keeps you hanging on every single note. There's some inclusion of harmonic minor with a flat sixth in the scale, creates another layer of darkness and passionate expression. The vocals are marvelously paired with the memorable guitar arrangement. It sounds like this absolutely perfect fit together, dominated by guitars, trademarked layered vocal harmonies by the boys, and expressive piano. This is a fantastic opener for this amazing album, setting the tone with perfectly produced and polished aggression, impressive audio effects, soaring arrangements, and clever lyrics performed with intention and so much swag. Death on Two Legs was performed 243 times live, most often in 79, before being dropped entirely, save the piano introduction, by 1981. And I find it interesting that this was most popular on their set lists several years following this album's release. Remember, this came out in 75. So this song did make an appearance on 76 performances, but it didn't really peak live until 79. And I just, I find that interesting. Like, did did the guys get a good feel for it? Did the audience love it so much they just had to include it more? I, I don't know what the decision was there, but there must have been a good response to it. Clearly, fans love this song, especially live. And only one live version of the song has been officially released on the 1979 album Live Killers. And live in this song, we get some wonderful 
mysterious cymbal swells in the intro, the guitar arpeggios and sweeping ostinatos like this spiraling, bubbling up anger. The intro is always lengthy, impressive. And as we pound into the full intro, Brian and Freddie always have fun on the guitar and the piano with these little variations in arrangements and surprising twists and turns, everything they always do live. Nothing is predictable. The guys love to change it up. Throughout the verses and the choruses, there's this tight and threatening and loud presence. All the best stuff with a Queen live performance. Brian's riffs between those killjoy bad guy lyrics, ugh, perfect accents, perfectly placed. Every crash and riff and lick is on point, accented with absolute finesse and effortlessness. Even live, this has the same ferocious energy and audiences would eat it up, singing that hook as the band readies to drop into the first verse. There's this hook that goes ding, 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 ding. <laughs> it's so spooky and sneaky and oh my gosh. It, it just, people love it. People love the anger here. Sometimes you just got to scream. You know what I'm saying? Now, Freddie believes this song actually inspired Brian to write Tie Your Mother Down, which is coming on the next album, A Day at the Races. It's one of my favorites, actually. <laughs> And yeah, it's, <laughs> so here's the thing about Tie Your Mother Down. It's quite bold, um, to say the least. And I, I think maybe when Freddie says that about how Brian was inspired to write his kind of bold song after Freddie wrote this very bold number, it, maybe it was because of the aggressive messaging, the aggressive lyrics. I don't know if it was so much the style of the song, although Tie Your Mother Down is a wonderful rocker, an introduction number that is very high on my list as far as first tracks on albums go, just like this one. But I just, I wonder if, uh, if it was the style or the, the lyrics that Brian was like, you know what, Freddie wrote this really, really nasty number. I think I'm just going to put it all out there in a different way with Tie Your Mother Down. We'll talk more about that in a few more episodes down the road. So during the writing of this song, most of the guitar parts were played by Freddie on the piano initially to give Brian cues and direction. And during live performances of Death on Two Legs, Freddie would usually dedicate the song to, quote, a real mother, I'm not going to finish that word, <laughs> of a gentleman, unquote. Of course, the audience would always get a kick out of that. In fact, on the Live Killers CD, that reference is bleeped out. And I think he may have said more than just that one word because there's a little bit more bleeping going on. And another interesting little fact I found, this song is featured in the 2012 game Rock Band Blitz, released as downloadable content in the Rock Band store, performed by Queen themselves. So hey, if you're looking for another way to enjoy this song, there you go. If you are a gamer, there you go. I haven't read anything bad about this. Nothing. Nothing from critics, nothing from fans, and I think that's saying something. A lot of people like this song, except for maybe Norman Sheffield. 
because again, he heard this, I think maybe at the playback party when the album was released, or he got wind of it somehow after the playback party and was like, (gasps) and the thing is, Norman was either going to sue the guys and EMI or he did proceed to sue them. And the only way to shut this down was to settle it out of court with a sum of money. If Norman hadn't done that, I don't think we would know this is actually about him, most likely about him and Trident. There would be this big mystery around this song, which might make it that much more intriguing, I suppose. But in some ways... Norman may have actually done himself a disservice to do what he did because the moment that comes out in the press and people realize that it might actually be true, at least some of what Freddie's alluding to in the song, which is so nasty. I mean, do you really want to put yourself in that position? Now, he probably felt like he had to protect himself in some way, of course. And in 2013, I think it was, he, what was it? He wrote a book that talked about his dealings with Queen and the Beatles, among other bands, etc. He tried to clear all of it up by actually presenting the original contract from 72 as it was written that Queen signed. I haven't looked at it. <laughs> There's that disclaimer. I have not actually looked at that contract. I'm going to, though. It's on my list. I'm super intrigued. I want to know exactly what, what the guys got into when, when they signed this thing because it's really upsetting from, because I'm an artist, I understand. If it was me, I would be devastated if I was in that position myself. But it just I just have to know. I, I want to know more about this nastiness that inspired such a wonderful number that I love so much. And I'm not the only one. Ray Fox Cumming, who attended the A Night at the Opera playback party, named this one of three highlights from the album. Drum Magazine said of Rogers' work here, quote, shortly after the 2-4 measure, there's an unusual snare accent on the and of four and a change to a halftime groove. These back and forth feel changes continue throughout the song and Taylor somehow makes them flow smoothly, unquote. So I talked about that, how amazing it is, especially his drumming that just puts this into a totally different class in and of itself. This guy innately knew what to do in these measures to make something sound syncopated, to make it sound like it shifts entirely to a different rhythm, probably without even thinking about it. And I I just... I'm odd. I love it. I I want that. Can I steal your talent, Roger? (laughs) Just let me sit down at a drum kit and bust out this song like without any mistakes. That would be amazing. More recently, A.J. Ramirez of Pop Matters called Death on Two Legs a, quote, downright ominous high drama song, unquote. Ooh, spot on. That is a great summary in those few words right there. And fans love this and it's aggression. But who doesn't love a good kiss off number? Seriously, I actually wrote a song years ago about how much I hated working at the office and how I wanted to just jump in my car and drive. (laughs) I never did anything with it because honestly, it wasn't really me, but I did put some fun little electric guitar riffs in there and I dug into it a little bit. I I had some little kiss-off moments of my own. I don't know. 
It's not really me, you guys, but it was a lot of fun. It was very cathartic. But back to death on two legs. This is a comment I found directly from a fan. Quote, you can't help but feel a little angry, which is what makes the song great. Unquote. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Sometimes we have to let it go. I read this study that said that people who listen to rock music, to angry rock music, like heavy metal rock, are happy people. <laughs> Is that really true? Like if, if you listen, if you consistently listen to rock music, you know, like Rob Zombie or, you know, just some super heavy bands out there, you know, and I don't know a lot of the current bands. I'm sorry. I'm out of touch with some of that stuff. But if you listen to music like that, on the regular, and you are happy, tell me, because maybe that is the key to everything. Maybe I need more angry rock music in my life. Maybe we all do. <laughs> but this is just one of the stunning numbers, one of the many stunning numbers from Queen, glittering though threatening piano, that wavering tritone, and finally, the appearance of heavy, spooky, dark guitar chords backed by electric bass, double bass, with a scratchy bow effect, more guitars that sound like screaming birds echoing in the air, and that fade-in scream. This is all in the intro. And guys, I just found out something. I just found this out. I can't believe I didn't know this. Apparently, that scream at the very end of that whole section before everything just diminishes in a flash, it's Roger. Duh. <laughs> it's Roger screaming right there. It's fantastic. And seriously, this introduction freaks me out. I have to say that, that it terrifies me. This is what I meant when I said it was scary. This is, feels like a dolly painting. You know what I'm saying? With like the, the the elephants with this stretched legs in a dreamlike state and the really spooky imagery that is alternate reality and very horrific. That's what this sounds like. If I was going to put dolly into a song, this I think is what it would be. This entire first portion of this song, this introduction or maybe it's actually introduction one and introduction two. Like I said, there's, there's a very non-conventional song structure here, but this introduction is a piece of art, literally, in and of itself. This thing stomps and blinds and overwhelms and suffocates and squeezes you in, and then that scream comes in, and it's just this massive effect of bulldozing over you, and then suddenly everything shifts. Oh my goodness. It's just, it's such a fantastic section of songwriting and execution and the use of the instruments to create that vibe and to create that feel and to do all of this in a studio setting so magnificently and geniusly. I'm amazed. That sudden shocking shrinking of all sounds drops out, except that evilly playful staccato piano. Oh, and the guitar? And by the time Roger's drums and John's bass fly back in, we're all in with the rock, the intention, the feeling that Queen and Freddie are in full control and giving it all to us big time. Oh, I love this intro. It's probably my favorite first song on a Queen record. Absolutely. And just one of my very favorite Queen songs, period. 
Rock and anger go together like PB&J, and this is one of the best examples. The strong minor keys and the flashes of accidentals, the chromatic scales, and the shocking crashes of the screams, the cymbals, the endlessly transitioning from one to the next without a hitch. This is Queen all buttoned up in their prime, taking dramatic elements of earlier albums like Queen 2 and with more modern production tricks and shaking it madly until it comes out like this. You suck my blood like a leech. You break the law and you breach. Wow. Tell us what you really think, Freddie. No wonder Brian and maybe the other guys were a little reluctant to record this. But it's such a good thing that Freddie got his way with this. Nothing was changed. The guys were thinking, wow, this is super harsh. But Freddie got it in just like he wanted it. And the nastiness just keeps coming. Have you found a new toy to replace me? Can you face me? But now you can kiss my goodbye. (laughs) Wow. I love this song. I love it. Brian, Roger, and Freddie come at us hard and heavy with layered vocal harmonies, joining in the teardown of Mr. Former Manager. And the conviction is better than ever, no doubt, because of the real turmoil and the frustration they must have felt. Musically, the boys have never sounded tighter than they do here. Freddie's piano playing is better than ever and very dynamic. John's bass lines are seemingly louder and heavier and more emotive somehow. Roger adds so many cymbal flourishes and riffs that, again, seamlessly transition the breaks in the rhythm and the key hello syncopation and Brian's guitar. Oh, goodness. The growls, the snarls, the screams, that noisy scratch that trickles down in the first chorus. That is a goosebump moment right there. This pounds at you. It stomps. It's unrelenting and powerful and like a great classically melodic number with such aggressive noise and rock and roll infused energy. It's also satisfying and so enjoyable. I love this song. The guys have never been scarier and I love it. Even when you consider tracks like Liar and Great King Rat. I mean, some of those songs on their debut are quite dark and ominous. And this one just seems to take all of that and button it up with a little bow. (laughs) If, that sounds weird. How could this possibly have a bow on it? What kind of bow would it have? What kind of bow would Death on Two Legs dedicated to actually be wrapped up with? You guys tell me, because that's weird that I just said that. But honestly, that's what it feels like. This is Absolutely all of the best elements of every single Queen song we've had before and slammed into this thing that is shaken until it's practically dead and then everything just pops out of it in this massive explosion because there's so much pressure. That's what this feels like. And it is such a, just, oh, it's a perfect kickoff for a night at the opera. It's one of my favorite moments on the whole album. This, oh, this is so good. I I love it and you have got to check it out. Go listen to the live killers version. Now that is the only recording that was supposedly ever put onto an album, but you can listen to other recordings on YouTube. I think the Earl's Court recording is out there as well as others. Go check them out because the guys always brought it live as we know. 
And this number is no exception. Death on two legs. I cannot say the title without singing it. This is kind of like, keep yourself alive. I, I have to sing it because I just love the, it's catchy. It is catchy. I didn't say that. This song is catchy. That hook, that guitar hook is in your head. The lyrics are in your head. Everything just latches on. Freddie, all the guys have this way of writing these songs, recording these songs, performing these songs, and they get under your skin and you just can't shake them. They're brilliant. And this is one of those numbers, absolutely. So go check out Death on Two Legs. Enjoy the madness. Enjoy the anger. Let it go. And I will be back next time. And we're going to talk about the next song, which is nothing like Death on Two Legs. And that's the brilliance of A Night at the Opera. We're shifting to something that doesn't make any sense in the context of what we just heard. But that's what makes it so wonderful. So I'll be back next time. Keep yourselves alive. Stay cool. It's pretty hot out there right now. Bye, guys.